The beauty of uh, this morning is, as uh, those of you that are guests, we've been going through the book of Ecclesiastes for about a year and a half now, and this morning marks uh, the end, the conclusion of the whole matter. We get to talk about the very end. In fact, this book has been kind of a, if you read it up to this point, it's kind of dreary. Everything is vanity. Everything is futile. Everything is meaningless. It's like, okay, come on. When do we get to the good stuff? Well, he waits till the very last end. It's like those shows. Have you ever seen a show? Uh, Some people tried to get me to watch a, a TV show called Lost one time. And I was watching it, and I was like, okay, we just spent a whole hour, and we learned nothing. It's, this is pointless. And I was like, I, why watch the show? It's, and then at the very end, it's like, they're dead, but they're not dead. It just didn't make sense. I was like, this was so stupid. And it was like, I know, I spoiled it. Don't watch it. It's dumb. <laughs> this, uh, I'm going to spare you the anguish. And I was like... Oh, my goodness. But sometimes life feels like that. We're like, this is pointless. And Solomon has been preaching to us the fact that I tried this to find meaning, and it was pointless. I tried pleasure in all forms and the riches, and it was pointless. I tried to find pleasure in women, and that was pointless. I tried to find pleasure in industry or labor or work. You can look at chapter 2 and, and found wisdom. I'm like, I'm going to pursue all human wisdom that is known to man in chapter 2, verse 15. And he said, it was pointless. I'm going to try to even find pleasure in popularity. I want to be popular. He was... Solomon was known to be the wisest king, and and he was going to be the most popular. People came and brought wealth to him to hear his wisdom. And yet, he said that was pointless. And he says, I'm going to find it in wealth and gathering the wealth of the earth and to amass all of that. And he says, it is pointless. We get to all of this, and in our text this morning in And in Ecclesiastes chapter 12, in verse 8, he says, Vanity to vanity, says the preacher, all is vanity. And they're like, what? That's the end? And he goes, no, I have a little bit more to tell you about the conclusion of the whole matter. And it's beautiful. It's endearing. It is actually life-altering. It is amazing what he is about to impart to us because it is so simple, but yet it is so revealing about the way we think, the way we act, about the things of our life that grips our life more than we want to admit. The things, because we desire to find life. We desire to have contentment. We desire to have peace. We desire joy. And we want to have meaning in life. And yet it's so hard to find. And as we prepare our hearts, as we read our text this morning, as we look at the end of Ecclesiastes, as we look at the, really the beauty of this book, and if you want to go back and, and look at this, 
from the perspective of the end, read the whole book in one sitting because it gives you true, it opens your eyes, and it's really meant to be read in one sitting. And we're not going to do that this morning. But let's ask God to bless the reading of His Word that He might impart His wisdom, His insight, and His meaning to our life this morning. Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verses 8 through 14. Let's pray. Lord, we are asking for Your wisdom. Lord, we pray that as we live our lives, as things seem meaningless, as they're filled with fear, as we struggle with seeing control taking, taken from our lives in many ways, as fear inserted, as we seem like life is losing its meaning. May, Lord, you bring us your hope, the firm foundation and the joy because of the peace that we have through the Lord Jesus Christ. And Lord, may you open all of this up to your understanding that we might know you, that you might impart the wisdom that comes through the power of your Spirit to help us to see you, to know you, to love you. And so simply, Lord, this morning, may you teach us to fear you, to truly know what it means to worship you this morning. And in these very simple words that end this great book, that's very tough to read, may it give us great understanding and hope for the life that you've called us to live on your behalf. So Lord, we want to honor you by reading your words of life this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We already read verse 8, but think about this again as we read verse 8, the conclusion of all the vanities, and then jump into this words of wisdom, verses 9 through 14. Verse 8, it says, Vanity of vanities, says the preacher, all is vanity. Verse 9, besides being wise, the preacher also taught the people knowledge weighing and studying and arranging many Proverbs with great care. That's the book of Proverbs that we have just before this book. And he goes on to say in verse 10, the preacher sought to find words of delight, and uprightly he wrote words of truth. The words of the wise are like goads, and like nails firmly fixed are the collected sayings. These are given by one shepherd. My son, beware of, of anything beyond these. Notice that, anything beyond these wise words by the one shepherd. Of making many books, there is no end, and much study is wearisome of the flesh. By the way, that's going back to what Rob brought to us in verses 5 and 6, that the knowledge, we don't really know everything. How can we truly know everything? And we try to know everything, but we can't. And so it wearies the soul. In verse 13, he says, the end of the matter, the conclusion of the whole matter, 
All has been heard. Here it is. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or whether evil. These are quite compelling words at the end of all of this that we see that is truly vain. The fact that he said, okay, I'm going to put all of the wise words, all the words that lead to wisdom, I'm going to put them into a collection. And we thus have been given Proverbs. In fact, Proverbs chapter 1 verse 7 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. The beginning of all wisdom, the beginning of all knowledge starts with the fear of the Lord. It's amazing as we hear about this idea of, of the words of the wise are like goads. They prod you in the direction you need to go. They're supposed to, to push us, to convict us. And that's what God's wise words do. Which is amazing because the words, the, the dreaming of our minds, the dreaming of the things of the world, they don't bring us to the knowledge of God. The many words of wisdom, of human wisdom brought by our culture and our world does not truly bring us to the Lord. And he says, beware of this. Beware of chasing knowledge. Beware of trying to find this worldly wisdom because it really burdens, it really drags down your soul. Colossians chapter 2 puts it in another way. He says, don't chase empty philosophies. Don't chase after the wisdom of this world because it does not produce the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. You have learned Christ. Follow Christ. Give your thoughts to Christ. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and all those things. The things of life will truly be added unto you. In fact, as we look at verse 13, and he says the conclusion of the matter is this, fear God and keep his commandments because this is the whole duty of man. We see that the real issue here is that this serious godliness, a life of godliness, is only the only way to true happiness. It is the only way to true meaning in life. Serious godliness, this idea of fearing God and keeping His commandments, that this purposeful, driven, not a purpose-driven life like the book that we've read ages ago, but this serious life bent around God is the only way to true happiness. There are so many ways today that people try to fill their life with meaning. All the ways that Solomon has already described, and yet it only has drug people down. It burdens people. It weighs them. It controls them. And yet God is saying, come to me. Come to me. Solomon is proclaiming this idea that life without a relationship 
a true relationship, a relationship with a heartfelt reverence, a true heart of reverence, of love for God. A life without this is a life without meaning. Only a life with a heartfelt reverence, a life with a true love for God, that life has meaning. Dr. Philip uh, Rankin, he does a syllogism. You know, it's, it's kind of this logical flow that everything starts with a premise and it ends with a truth. And he says this based on, on this command of fearing God and keeping his commandments, that this is the whole meaning of our life. As a true believer, if we want to find meaning, this is it. Very simply, fear God. And he says this, if there is no God, then there is no judge. You can kind of relate if you've been watching the news, right? If there is no judge, then there will be no final judgment, right? If there's no final judgment, just do whatever you want. So if there's no final judgment, then there's no ultimate meaning to life. Nothing matters. But the final message of Ecclesiastes is is not that nothing matters, but there is something that truly matters. It's the everything of life. In other words, Solomon's argument goes this way. God exists. He is the creator Since he is the creator, he is also the judge. Since God is the judge as the creator, there will be a final judgment. Since there will be a final judgment, everything we do, how we live, matters. Therefore, even though life is but a fleeting breath, it is not futile and insignificant because our life before God matters. So basically in this text, I want to explore and look at three aspects. Basically, the first one is, what is the fear of God? What is the fear of God? Then we're going to look at, how does the fear of God affect our life? What does it produce in our life? Because if we truly understand the fear of God, it should produce something. It should affect us. Those things that we understand or the things that we experience or know truly have an impact on our life. And then I want to look at, lastly, how does the Holy Spirit, what part does the Holy Spirit play in that, in the fear of God? What is the fear of God? Well, the first thing is this. The fear of God is the essential or the only part of being a true believing Christian. The fear of God is essential. It's part of the, basically, I, as I was doing the study, I was shocked at how many places throughout the whole Bible the fear of God is mentioned and the impact it has on our life. The fear of God is not just in Ecclesiastes. It's not just part of the Old Testament. It's a part of the whole Bible. Proverbs 9.10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The knowledge of the Holy One is insight. 
1 Peter 1.17 that we already read this morning. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, just like we read here, that for God will bring every deed into judgment, he goes, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. Because we know that God is our father, because we know that he's going to judge, we should conduct ourselves with fear according to the relationship with God. Do you want to know something that's interesting about our verse this morning? In verse 13, it says, The end of the matter is this. All has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. Do you know that word duty is actually not in the Hebrew language? It literally is this. There is no word for duty in the Hebrew language. It is Fear God, keep his commandments. This is the whole of everything in your life. To help, they've put that literally what it means when it says the whole of everything. It's the same word for the very essence of your life. Fear God, fearing God is essential part of every believer's life. It is your everything. It is the very essence of calling upon the name of the Lord to be saved. It's the very essence of being a believer. So what is not the fear of the Lord? The worldly fear of God or the worldly fear of what does it mean to fear is terror or to flee from the presence of God. You look at life outside these walls. You look at life in our culture People in the world, the people of our culture, they do everything to flee from the presence of God. You share about our need of salvation because of our sins, and people will run until their heart is pricked by the conscience, by the power of the Holy Spirit, and they realize, I need the Lord. In fact, turn back all the way. Keep your hand in, you can keep your hand in Ecclesiastes if you want. But go back to Genesis chapter 3. From the very beginning, this type of terror we see because of sin. Genesis 3, verses 8 through 10. You know them well. The Garden of Eden, everything was perfect, everything was great, everything was grand. They walked with God. There was no death, there was no destruction, there was no decay. There was just perfect, peaceful tranquility in a garden that you never had to pull a weed, right? We understand that because here in Whatcom County, everything grows like a weed after we lose all the water that we've been inundated with, right? And, and they never had to deal with flooding. They never had to deal with the scorching heat. They never had to deal with mowing the lawn. They never had to deal with pruning the trees, right? They never had to deal with cutting down trees so they didn't hit your power lines, right? <laughs> they never had to deal with whatever you have to deal with that you can't stand because of our fallen world. They were tempted, right? Did God really say that? They were tempted to question God. They were tempted not to trust God. They were tempted to say that they should become like God. They were tempted with pride and sin. 
And look what it did in verse 8. They heard the sound of the Lord. You know, because of my salvation and my standing and my hope in the Lord, I can't wait for to hear that sound, that stirring. Whatever that was that they heard, I can't wait one day when I stand before the Lord. But they heard that sound of the Lord. God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife, that's Adam and Eve, hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? That always brings a chuckle to me. I know that God knew right where they were. right? It's like, when you're playing hide-and-go-seek with your, your baby or your three-year-old, and you know you know right where they are, but you're like, where are you? You know, Because <laughs> you don't want to find them too quickly because you want to keep playing, right? And so you don't find them too quickly. And it, it, the same thing applies as they get older when you play Aerosoft or you know, those kind of older games, you don't, you know, or you play football with them. You don't want to hit them too hard lest they decide they never want to play again, right? But... Here he is. God is saying, where are you? Because they were hiding. This was new. They had never hid from the Lord before. They had no reason to hide from the Lord. But God called out to them. I love that because even in their sin, God was calling to them. And he he said, that is, Adam said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid. So they hid. Maybe you can relate. Maybe, you know, maybe you're not too old that you remember that sometime you did something and you hid, right? You drive by that police officer, you grab your seatbelt, you know, it's like, it's there, right? (laughs) It's really, I have it, I have it on, right? Or you take your foot off the brake. No, 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 I wasn't going that fast, right? Um, you, we all, right, from adults down to little ones, we hide out of fear that I get caught. We, in terror, the worldly fear, they, they, they run, they are afraid from the presence of God. This is not the fear of the Lord that God is calling us to. But sadly, even as believers, this is the same fear that many of us still have. If you go to uh, Luke chapter 19, in Luke chapter 19, you see, you know, the parable of the, of the talents or the minas, that is the talents. And the fact that they, the faraway uh, Lord, the, this parable, this story, this nobleman was going away and he was giving his servants money to invest, to use for his kingdom. And he said he gave them this all of this stuff to produce life in the kingdom. And he said, use it for the glory of the kingdom. And he says, I'm going to go away and I'll come back. And you know that he comes back and he goes up to his servant and he says, What did you do with what I gave you? And he says, I produced all of this from the talents you gave me. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Right? And he goes through all of the servants that he gave things to, to use for the glory of the kingdom that the nobleman 
ruled over. And he comes to the last servant. And the very last one in verse 20 says, And then another came saying, Lord, here is your mina. Here is what you gave. Here, it's in a sense, he says, here's the life you gave me. Which I kept laid away in a handkerchief. For I was afraid of you because you are a severe man. You take what you did not deposit and you reap what you did not sow. He didn't really know the the nobleman at all. He didn't know his Lord. He didn't know the master. He says, I will condemn you with your own words. You are wicked servant. And look at verse 27 at the end. He says, but as for these enemies of mine who did not want me to reign over them, bring them here and slaughter them before me. So it shall be in the end of days when Jesus returns. Those who are, who are terrified of the Father, who are terrified of God, who refuse to let God reign over their life. This is not the fear of the Lord that brings understanding, that brings wisdom. But true fear, right? We know, we've heard it. We've heard it described as awe and reverence. And and the Hebrew idea of this fear that is described in Ecclesiastes 12, 13, it's really hard to describe in its its fullness other than a, a childlikeness about it. This awe, this reverence of looking up and I know the teenagers are like, well, I don't truly look up like that anymore. I kind of look down, right? As my son is basically looking down into my eyes now. Or if, you know, other kids, like, you know, I remember when I moved here that I, you know, still was looking down at Mariah. Now Mariah looks down at me. But <laughs> so here's the thing. It's this childlikeness. It's like the baby that's being hold by many of you now. The grandkids back there or, or that young child that is sitting in your lap or the young children that was up here and there's this great awe. I remember one of the kids saying, one day when I grow up, I'm going to be just like you. And I was like, please don't be like me. <laughs> but yes, proclaim God's word. Do that. But there's this awe and fear. There's this childlike reverence. There's a fear that is sensitive to God's greatness. We are sensitive to the fact of who God is, His holy character, His holiness. But yet, that fear of God's greatness is wrapped, it's shrouded, it's clothed in His gracious love. A lot of times people say, well, we shouldn't fear God because God loves us. Because God's love casts perfect love. His love casts out all fear. Well, in the context, yes, he casts out all earthly fear. That tremble, that trembling at the things that we experience, that, those things that are meaningless in our life. The fear and control of our world, the, the fear of the, our emotions produce, the fear of the circumstances of life. But when it comes to the Lord, there is this great sense of awe, and it is shrouded in 
that perfect graciousness. We run to the Father because we know that even in our sinful state, He will wrap His arms around you. That's what I love about my kids when, you know, I, my favorite thing is, is coming down the driveway. We have a really long driveway. It's so some kids run faster than others. And it's my favorite part of the day when I've been gone for a long time. And, you know, it, I know if I've been gone long enough and mom's made dinner, I don't see them. They know what's good. <laughs> they sit at the table. <laughs> but, but the rest of the time they run and they're like, I hear the cry of daddy, daddy. Or when they struggle and they're having a hard time, they're like, father. Dad, and they know that they're going to experience an arms of graciousness, of kindness, of let me just hold you until I help you. That's the fear of God. It's a childlike fear. It's to say, I need my father. One, the worldly fear is run at all costs from God. But the childlike fear, the fear that it says, the end of the matter is this, fear God. That means run to him, grab onto him, and know that all meaning of life is wrapped in that fear of God. You know, this fear of God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole essence of our life. This is the whole man. This is the whole life. It is a synonymous. This is the definition of worship, of running to God and worshiping Him and saying, I need you. I love you. There is none besides you. No one can help me but you. This is the fear of God. Let me say it another way. This is being sensitive to his godness. Being sensitive of his great character. It's being sensitive to his graciousness. Being sensitive to know that he gives us what we don't deserve. So it causes us to run, to throw us down at his feet as someone who is condemned but loved. Do you know it produces an openness and a joy like no other? That brings us to the second thing. It, I want us to realize what this produces in our life. What effect does the fear of God have on our life? And maybe you're like, I have been struggling in my walk with God. May it be said that you truly don't have a fear of God, this childlike fear. You don't understand it. Well, what does the fear of God produce in our life? Ecclesiastes 5, 7 through 8 says, For when dramas increase and words grow many, or when dreams increase and drama increases, and words grow many, there is vanity, but God is the one whom you must fear. When the drama of this world, when 
daydreams and people dream about these earthly things and, and there's much philosophy and words and rhetoric in our world. We who know God must fear Him because that is the only thing that affects our life for meaning. Gives us a meaningful life. Because what it does is it produces holiness in our life. It produces a change. That, that holiness, you, you know, when God says, I am holy, therefore you must be holy. And they're like, I can't be holy. It's like, God, did you just see what I did yesterday? Did you just see what I thought when I looked in the mirror this morning? It's like, how can you expect me to be holy But that's what a fear of God produces. It causes us to tremble at that great character of God and it throws us at his mercy. And as he begins to then change our life and produce that holiness. See, we can't produce it. Philippians 2.2 gets at this. I'm sorry, 2 and verse 12. And he says, Therefore, my beloved. Don't you like that? My beloved. I like when I read that sometimes, I'm like, I'm glad he still thinks of me that way. (laughs) There are times when I struggle, right? There are times when I have to admit, I really didn't have good thoughts. And he says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, and I'm like, Well, I haven't always obeyed. (laughs) Not only as in my presence, as Paul was talking to the church and He's saying, hey guys, I've seen your obedience, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence. He says, continue to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. He's talking about the fear of the Lord. Continue to work it out, your own salvation. That gift that you cannot produce in your life. It's not your own work, it's the very work of God. It produces holiness. In fact, in Exodus 20.20, you know that Israel was deathly afraid as Moses came down, as Moses met with God, as Moses saw his glory and Moses was changed. He was different as he was in the presence, as he feared God and in the presence of God. He wanted to see more of God. God, let me see more. As he came down with the tablets and as he came before Israel, they were afraid of Moses because Moses had changed. And they feared God. They feared God's commandments. And in verse 20 of Exodus 20, he says, Moses said to the people, do not fear. That's interesting. Because the conclusion of the whole matter is fear God. But listen to what he says. For God has come to test you that the fear of him may be before you. Wait a minute. Don't fear, but then fear him. Yes, don't fear the things around you. Don't fear the nations above you and around you. Don't fear the circumstances of your life. Don't fear about the Ten Commandments. Don't fear... Don't look to other things. Fear God. Why? The end of the verse. That you may not sin. 
the more we fear God, the more we have that childlike love of God where we fear Him, it produces holiness. It drives us from sin. Let me say it this way. The fear of God is the deepest foundation of all genuine, true moral behavior. We can teach kids, we can teach people to be moral, to be good people, just to do good things. But the fear of God truly changes us. It truly drives us away from sin. Psalm 36.1 says the opposite. It says, transgression speaks to the wicked deep in his heart. Transgressions, those wrongdoings, speaks for the wickedness of a person's heart. Because, he says, there is no fear of God before their eyes. They don't fear God. The transgressions of people, the wickedness of those around us, or even the wickedness of our own heart, speaks to the very fact that there is no fear of God before our eyes. (laughs) Yes, I'm sorry, buddy. I know, sometimes the truth hurts. (laughs) He's smiling at me, too. I love it. You know, a lot of times people come to, and they say, I'll never go to church because it's just filled with hypocrites. And I was just like, yep, we're just like everybody else in the world. We struggle with sin. <laughs> Nothing has changed. We're a hospital built for imperfect people. We're just not the hospital of the world. We're the hospital that God has designed. We cannot produce a good life. God produces it through the fear of God. It produces integrity. Nehemiah is a great illustration of that. Nehemiah chapter 5, verse 14 through 15. You know, Nehemiah was in Persia, and he was going, and I know, when I get loud, he cries. <laughs> so, and it goes, and he goes back, and he goes to the Persian king, and he says, may I go back and build up the temple, the temple to our God, the God, the creator God, the God of the universe. It is in disarray And it's so much a downer for my people. And of course, the king says, sure, which is odd. Nobody conquers a people and then says, yeah, go rebuild it, right? But God put on the heart of the king to trust Nehemiah. Nehemiah gets there and he sees the wickedness of the rulers that are there, the ones that are supposed to be serving the people. And you say, wow, kind of sounds familiar to today. But look at what he says in verse 14. He says, Moreover, from the time that I was appointed to be their governor in the land of Judah, from the 20th year of the 32nd year of Xerxes the king, 12 years, neither I nor my brothers ate the food allowance of the governor. He says, I didn't eat all the good food that was given to the governors. He said in verse 15, the former governors who were before me laid heavy burdens on the people and took from them from their daily rations 40 shekels of silver. Even their servants loaded, lorded it over the people. 
Even the governor's servants even lorded it over the people, basically, in a sense, stealing from the people so that they could have the good life while they were persecuted. Basically, Nehemiah said they had no integrity. But I did not do so, and listen why, because of the fear of God. He had the fear of God. He feared God. Fear in God produces integrity. It also produces obedience. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 7 talks about Noah. I know that the young adults just went through this chapter, and it's great to see how faith was produced even when they never saw the promises that were to come. And Hebrews chapter 11, verse 7 speaks to Noah and the fact that God, over all those years, said, build an ark because I'm going to send a flood. And he's like, I have no concept of a flood because he didn't live in Whatcom County. (laughs) But he's like, they've never seen rain. They don't know what a flood is. And he says, build this giant barge. And imagine the amount of trust he had to have in God because he didn't know what was coming. He never saw it. Just like we don't see the true final judgment that is coming. But most of us here have put our faith and trust in Christ because we know that there's a judgment coming for our sin. In verse 7 of Hebrews 11, he says, By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, he constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this, he can... By this, he condemned the world and became an heir of righteousness that comes by faith. You notice that he obeyed God, not because he saw the truth coming, not because he understood everything, not because he knew everything, but because simply he feared God. You have trouble obeying God. Where's your, how much fear do you have? of God like a child. It also only produces obedience, but it produces courage. It produces great courage. You know, in Joshua 1, right? You remember before Joshua, they had sent out the 12 spies. They saw the giants of the land. They said, yes, they came back. Yeah, it's flowing with milk and honey. Yeah, we can't even hold all the grapes up. It's so big, right? It's amazing, but, but, but there's giants in the land. We can't do it. I know God said go up and take the land, but we can't do it. But there were two. They said, we fear God, not man. And as Joshua took over for leading the nation of Israel, as they came in by faith with the courage of Joshua and Caleb, who later on, by the way, has 80 plus-year-old man says, give me the hill that the giants live on. I will take it because God said so. I love our saints that proclaim faith like that. In Joshua chapter 1, he says, be of good courage. Be strong in the might of the Lord. Only obey all that I've commanded you, and you will find success. Be of courage. The fear of God 
will drive away the fear of people. The more you fear God, the less it matters what kind of order comes down from somebody in government that limits our freedoms. It doesn't matter because we don't fear man. We fear God. The fear of God will always drive away the fear of people. The answer of our lack of courage, when we don't have courage, when we, are a, when we see the current events of our day, the answer is the fear of God. The fear of God drives away the fear of people. Proverbs 23, 17 says, Let your hearts not envy sinners. Don't let your eyes gaze on them to, to desire what they have. Don't fear that you're losing out on something. But, he says, continue in the fear of the Lord all the day long. Psalms 27.3 says, Though an enemy encamps against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war rises against me, yet I am confident because of the Lord. John Knox, an amazing preacher. If you haven't studied his life, he's an amazing, also, you know, He's Scottish, so I mean, what else could I say? <laughs> but John Knox, you know that Queen Mary of Scotland, she was not a very nice young lady. <laughs> she was a very evil queen. And she put a lot of people that proclaimed Christ, that proclaimed the gospel, that taught the Bible. She killed many. Mary, Queen of Scott, put a price on his head and says, he needs to go. He is a threat to my kingdom. What's amazing is, is this is what she said about the life of John Knox. Even though she put a price on his head, she said this, John Knox fears no man. And because he fears no man, he is a man to be feared. It's amazing as after he was killed by Queen Mary of Scotland, within a year, their church state fell and the preaching and following of the word of God flourished. Because one man feared God. You know what it does? It produces a desire and vision for missions. It produces a desire and vision for missions. 2 Corinthians 5.11 says, Therefore, knowing the fear of God, knowing as is experiencing by experiencing living in fear of God, we persuade others. But what we are is known to God, and I hope that it is known also to your conscience. We give the gospel to others, 
And in fact, I think it's in our bulletin, it goes on to say in 2 Corinthians, right, verses 14 through 20, it's kind of always been the theme of this church, helping people come to the knowledge of Christ. Why? Because of knowing the fear of God. The higher, you're, the higher that we exalt God, the more we exalt Christ, the more we exalt the gospel, the more we're going to share the gospel. The more it'll give us a clear vision of going everywhere we put our foot and not being afraid of man saying, we have an answer for you and it is in the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ. Acts chapter 9, verse 31 says this, and I'm going to end with this, and we'll do part two next week. I lied. We're going to be in Ecclesiastes next week. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace. They had peace. By the way, in the Roman era, there was no real peace. They were always under threat of, just like the Chinese church, Right? They're under threat every single day, and yet they are growing because they don't fear man. They don't fear the Chinese government. Right now, even our Olympic athletes are constantly writing. It's getting out, even though that the Chinese government is suppressing all the news and how horrible it is there right now. They're, live on, they're getting these videos out of these Olympic athletes Strong athletes just in tears because of what they are even experiencing. And these are not Chinese nationals. Can you imagine what the Chinese nationals are going through? And the church is flourishing there. Not because it's good and easy and it's even under intense persecution. It says here in verse 31, So the church throughout all Judea, Galilee, Samaria had peace and was being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. And it was multiplied. The church was being built because why? Was it because it had great programs? Was it because it met every one of your needs? Was it because they had good food afterwards? <laughs> was it because the preacher stopped on time? <laughs> was it, why was it being built? It was because they walked in the fear of the Lord. Are you walking in the fear of the Lord? Nothing we do here at church today through the week no matter how many Bible studies you go to, no matter how many times you read the Bible, unless you walk in the fear of the Lord, it doesn't produce these things in your life. You don't walk in the very essence as a believer and follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. The fear of the Lord unlocks everything in your life. 
and it was multiplied. Did you see that? I don't know about you, but multiplying is much better than just adding, right? How would, would you rather add to your income or would you like your income multiplied, right? When we invest, when you go and invest money, right, do you look for addition or do you look for multiplication, right? So many of us are trying to add the things of the world to our life out of fear to, be, to find comfort, to find meeting. But there's no multiplication of comfort. The end of verse 31 says, And walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, the church was multiplied. I pray that you're walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. We're going to talk about that comfort of the Holy Spirit next week and what does that mean to us? What does the Holy Spirit do for us in our life? It is everything. I'll just let the cat out of the bag. <laughs> if you're struggling in your walk with the Lord, may you just simply, like a child, run to your father Throw your arms around him and be honest. Be honest. Fear the Lord. Be sensitive to his character and say, God, help me. Just like a child. Let that fear of the Lord walk with you every day as the gospel strengthens your life. And as he becomes your strength and your shield in this world that is dying day by day. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word, your words of life. We thank you that we can find meaning, true meaning, meaning that is eternal. Lord, I pray that if there is someone here that has been chasing just meaninglessness that they've been chasing the world and they feel the end of their rope and that they've struggled and they just, they're done. They're at their wits end. They realize that it's just produced vexation in their life. Just the world is full of grief that they would run to you as their father, that they would say, Lord, I need you. You are the answer to my life. You are the one that saved me from my sin. I am not good. But Lord, would you forgive me? Lord, simply this, I am not good. So you sent your son to be good for us, to live that perfect life, to fulfill all the commandments to walk perfectly and humbly before you, loving you in the perfect way, and then becoming our sacrifice by dying on the cross. And because of that, he conquered death once and for all by paying for our sin, that we might be adopted into your family 
not because of our goodness, but because of the goodness that you have applied to our life. If someone here has not responded that gospel call, that good news, that they would simply run to you as their father and say, here am I, I am unworthy, would you save me? I have put my faith and trust in you with my whole heart. I know it to be true. And that they would proclaim it this morning and ask you to save them. Lord, may we walk in the fear of our Father, our Master, our Lord, and our Savior. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.